Left. Right. Yo, what's up? Thank you for joining us for this episode 71 of Sip Talk. Today we're talking about the difference in generations. Uh, I'm going to tell you, if you're listening to me now, you're not going to like what I have to tell you. You are part of the weakest generation. Uh, all right, see you on the other side, and thank you so much again for joining. Uh, this is really getting fun, and we owe that to you guys, so thank you. Much appreciated. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. So this is episode 71 of Sip Talk. My name is Justin DiGiulio. On the other end, we have James the Bosnator Boswell, professional soccer referee, professional accountant, philosopher, and bartender, uh, coming at you from South Carolina. So, James, you want to uh, tell everybody what we're talking about today? So the general topic today is just comparing like, I, I wanted to call this talk in defense of millennials, <laughs> and it's kind of a more polite way of saying, okay, boomer. The, the thing that got me thinking about this topic is if you're not aware of what's going on right now in the stock market, there's one particular stock that's been getting a lot of interest, and that's GameStop. Now, as a company itself, it's kind of garbage. Wait, GameStop is, is becoming a good stock? Yes. Um, GameStop is like the video game retailer. Yes. Okay. So, all right. Um, basically, what's happening is so the company itself is garbage, but its <sighs> stock is on a historic tear right now. And the reason for it is um, the stock was being heavily shorted, which means that institutional buyers were borrowing shares from the public to, to then eventually resell later for a lower price. So they're selling now and then they're going to rebuy them later for a lower price. So basically sell high, buy low. It's the opposite of a traditional stock price thing where you like yeah. normally you want to buy low, sell high. This is doing the same thing, but in reverse where you sell high and then rebuy low. And yeah. so a whole bunch of people noticed that a lot of shares were being shorted and they decided that they were going to try and fight against the institutions that were doing this. And when, when, a sh when a stock has a lot of shorts, um, it means that if the stock goes up, the short sellers lose money. And if they lose enough money, they have to do what's called covering their shorts, where if they're down too much money, they have to rebuy the shares even if they're not ready to, which causes increased activity in the stock and increased price. And it's kind of a feedback loop. But yeah, yeah, what, yeah. This, this all came to be from, uh, from Wall Street Bets on Reddit. And it's all, it's mostly millennials that are just doing super risky trades on, on the stock markets. And I'm looking at this more of like the, the news coverage is making this sound like it's institutions versus retail investors, retail investors being like someone like you or me. The, and, the stockholder. Mm -hmm. Well, you could have a stockholder that's, a, that's an institutional investor. You could have something like Goldman Sachs or something that's okay. an institution. But a retail investor is like me who buys stocks, and I'm just one dude. But 
But they, I look don't at this mean, as, they don't mean that you're investing in a retail store, which you No, own. no, no. Right. No, the retail market is basically non-institutional stock buyers and stock traders. Okay. So non-professionals is the retail market. Um, and I look at this as kind of, I think millennials may have found one of the few ways to kind of get back at a generation that they feel has robbed them of a lot. Because right now, for example, one of the main institutions that's been shorting GameStop is down 15 or 20 percent on the year on this on their on their position on GameStop right now. They've lost so much money on this single trade because of mm -hmm. what Wall Street bets has been able to engineer. And it made but me think. Started, but people started shorting GameStop because it's a it's a it's a physical location that sells actual DVD, Blu-ray type video games, right? Mm -hmm. So. That's like, I mean, I think it's crazy that people still go to the store to buy a video game and that you just can't download the game over a few hours. Well, and you'd be right. Or have it mailed to you. Like, I, I mean, right, I, yeah. No, so you, that, you're so right about all of this. That the, the market for, the, the market in which GameStop operates is not favorable to the business model that they have. And so you've got a whole bunch of people looking at it and saying, this, this company should go bankrupt at some point. And they're probably right, but this is not this is not a fundamental event where the company did something really good and people are buying the stock because they think that the company is going to continue to do well. This is a technical event where the factors of supply and demand line up in such a way that people that are short in the stock can be forced into closing their positions at a loss because of the way that institutions do their ordering. And I don't want to get too much into the technicals and investing about this because that's not really what our podcast is about. Yeah. But the, the overarching theme that I'm looking at here is that this is like the first time that I've really seen millennials find some kind of power against the quote unquote boomer generation so, and be able to really have success in fighting back. And what I wanted to talk about tonight is boomers look at the millennials as lazy, entitled, and unsuccessful. And I don't think that's the case. I think that my, the, the argument that I'm going to make is that boomers had it easy, and they don't realize that. And then once they succeeded from playing the game of life on easy mode, then they ratcheted up the difficulty so that nobody else could <laughs> succeed after them. And well, I've got some numbers to prove my case. Sure, and sure, but they didn't do it intentionally. No, I think they did. But, but also, yeah, there's a lot of other factors. I don't necessarily know that they're intentional factors, but let's let's go through real quick, kind of starting with baby boomer generation, which is effectively our parents, mm -hmm. uh, post World War II to the mid '60s. Yep. Um, and then you have generation x which is like late 60s to gen x is later than that uh well i mean that's the one right after baby boom, boom. really okay every, everywhere so i thought gen x was like into the mid 80s but it's really like 1980 um 1980s kind of like the cutoff yeah i always identified as a generation x because that that was like the pepsi generation you're growing up like uh cusp of generation y which is millennial but i think maybe just in my family being kind of the youngest of like 17 different cousins that they kind of pulled me 
you know, they, they had a little bit of pull towards the Generation X for me. But gener so Generation X ends at about 80. And then Generation Y slash Millennial is 80 to mid-90s. Yeah, which we fall right in the middle of. Yeah, and then you have, well, in the beginning of, and then you have Generation Z, um, which I didn't know there was a name for that. And that's 95, 96 to uh, 2012-ish. And then you have basically anybody who's a baby now, and they're called like, you know, a couple of years old, calling that the alpha generation. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so. But just let me just let me summarize. Yeah, you keep got, on going. You got, you got baby boomers, World War II to mid-60s. Then you have Generation X, late 60s to 80. Uh, millennials, 80 to 95 or so. And then Gen Z, 95 through 2012. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I I've gotten into arguments with boomers about this because they really do think that they were that that they didn't have any unique kind of blessings or anything when they were growing up, and I really disagree. And so I did some research before this podcast to pull up some basic numbers to show how strongly the deck has been stacked against us. Okay, and but. I think there's, I'm, I'm very curious kind of what you got in your, in your back pocket. I, I obviously believe that there's a lot stacked up against us, but I also feel like the newer generations are much more pussified and they don't know how to work hard. And, and you know who's to blame for that, honestly? Well, they're the parenting. Who, who, yeah, but, and who yeah. are the parents? Yeah, exactly. Boomers. Exactly. Oh, come on. Yeah. So, well, but even, even more so, because, so there was another term I read for millennials and they were called latchkey kids. And that's because both parents were working and they kind of stayed home between, um, after school and when their parents came home from work, which is a okay. few hours. Um, but I think people nowadays are softer and they're growing softer um, but yeah, obviously everything is, is, you know, the system is perfectly designed for the, for the output that you have. And, and what is the system? It's what came before the output. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that would be the board. So I, I want to know what you're, because I, I probably will argue a little bit this with, uh, of this with you, but I think ultimately I'm going to fall on, on your side as we typically find agreement on most things, but, but yeah. All right, so I pulled a couple kind of key prices and um, economic measures to compare. So the things that I wanted to look at are what are some of like the basic keys to wealth in, to, in today's society? And I think that they translate pretty closely to the keys to wealth in 1970 society. So all the numbers that I have are going to be compared between 1970 and 2019. So, um, okay, okay, go ahead. Um, and I look at the keys to wealth are going to be how much do you make? Mm -hmm. And how much does a house cost? Because for a lot of people, building wealth is very much tied up in the home that they own. That's the, that's like the generally for most people, the largest pool of wealth that they have is in their house and the land on the house. Right? Majority, yeah, majority of the population. But, but. Yeah. Um, so wages, home mm -hmm. cost, and the last, the last one, the last two are going to be vehicle cost of just buying a car so that you can travel to jobs. 
and also education. education. How much does it cost to get an education? You mentioned something about gas prices. I'm just curious. Do you have gas prices? I do. All right. Cool. Just, I'm just curious. All right. Um, and I, I also read, you know, about the declining value in education and really uh, Generation X, which is right before us, was the last generation where there was actually a solid return on investment when it came to dollars spent for education. Well, and I think one thing that's really important to mention that gets lost in the data is that a lot of jobs today require a bachelor's degree or more, whereas in 1970, very few jobs required a a graduate degree and less jobs required a bachelor's degree. So, you know what I, but also I think our education is slipping. But what I also came across when I was reading about this was that nowadays we don't teach, we don't, uh, let me articulate it well. The, right now, if you go to a school, the attention is placed on the, the slowest learners. Whereas, especially in a lot of other countries, the most attention is placed on the fastest learners and the most intelligent people. But we're increasingly dumbing things down because that's, you know, that's just the trend that the United States is going, I think. Take, you know. Yeah. I think but, that that the whole idea of education in the United States versus the, uh, the rest of the world is something that we really like, that's kind of outside the scope of where I want to go. Cause we can get lost sure. in that alone for an hour. Sure. But you know? what I'm saying is now in order to uh, get to uh, the same level of learning, you need more education. And, and yeah, it's a chicken or the egg argument there. But my, my, the point that I'm trying to make is that in 1970, it was easier to find a high-paying job without a hot, without an advanced degree than it is today. So it, I, and it's hard to assign a data value to this. But when I talk about the cost of education in 1970 versus today, you also need to factor in that the cost of education today is oftentimes a prerequisite for getting a job that didn't exist in 1970. So it's a multiplicative effect, but I can't really assign a a number value to it easily. But let's just start with wages. So minimum wage in 1970, and I'm going to give out two values. I'm going to give the 1970 value and then it's inflation adjusted value. So 1970, the minimum wage was $1.60, which doesn't sound great. But, yeah, when you, but when you adjust for inflation, minimum wage in 1970, $10.61. <laughs> minimum wage today, now it depends on what state you're in, but I'm going to go with the federal minimum wage because that's the floor. And that's also what I measured in 1970. Minimum wage today, $7.43, 30% lower. Wow. 30% lower minimum wage right now. It's it's just so wild that like there's, there's no attention really. Now here's two more, and this one tell these these numbers tell a story. So when you talk about median wages, so that's going to be fifty percent of the wages are higher, fifty percent of the wages are lower. Yeah. Median wage in 1970 was nine thousand eight hundred and seventy dollars. Adjust that up for inflation, sixty five grand. Okay. Median wage in 2019 was forty thousand. So. That's a 39% decline. Wow. Now, the next one, this is misleading, is the average wage in 1970 was, 70, was $7,700, adjusted for inflation about fifty-one grand. 
2019 average wage was 53,490. So what do those two numbers tell us when we compare the fact that the median wage in 2019 went down 39%, but the average wage went up 5%? What does that tell us? Um, I get, give me the numbers again. I'm, 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 All right. The, so, so the median. So the median wage went down 39% from 65 to 40. Okay. The average wage went up. 5% from 51 to 53.5. Um, that you're, I think it sounds like you're losing a lot of the middle numbers. Yeah, that's close enough. Okay. To me, what those numbers tell me is that income inequality has gotten worse that's, because for, yeah. for the average wage to go up, but the median wage to go down means that you have to have a whole bunch of really big wages at the top yeah. that are skewing the average but not skewing the median. So, so what that tells that, me is that- Because yeah. obviously the lower numbers are gonna have a lower impact. So the higher numbers have to be really, really high. Yeah, but, but you also have to look, median, median looks like just like, how many are above me? How many are below me? Yeah, and obviously the median has fallen, which means there's a lot more below the average. Yeah. Because the average dollar amount is less. So it factors mm -hmm. a lesser- Yeah, so if you're to take the, do like the average dollar amount, mm -hmm. your average wage, and see what percentile that ranks in the median, it's going to be way above 60. Yeah, so that's, so I think that means you're, and th that's what I, that means that there's uh, a lot more high earners and a lot more low earners. Well, it doesn't mean there's a lot more high earners. It means the high earners are earning a lot more. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, it does not mean, it means the opposite. It does not mean there's a lot more high earners. There's it less means, high earners. Means there's a lot more low earners. Yeah, it means there's a lot more low earners and the high earners are earning more. So your CEOs are getting paid way more than they ever have before, which yeah. is fucking And I, that's a statistic I need to look up and I should have. And these are these are publicly held companies. So that means the public is allowed for the most part. And and, and that means the public is allowing that to happen, um, mm -hmm. which does, I mean, I this guess- This is a trend also in private companies. It's just the data is harder to find. Well, it, it, sure. But I think it really just means that um, it's a profitability issue. You can pay one guy a lot and a lot of people nothing. Mm -hmm. And the company makes more money and, and you attribute it to the high, you know, the highest. Right. So my point on all of this is that in 1970, it was a lot easier to have a, a living wage and even be able to save a little bit of money because the median wage was way higher. Yeah. Yeah, wild. So when, when boomers say, well, we had to work hard during our day, sure, but you got paid more for it. True, but I also believe that they had to work harder. And they were doing yeah. much, more, much more manual labor. Do you think they had to work 40% harder? Um, because they made 40% more dollars. Sure, but you've got to define what's hard. I'm you know, just saying that do you think that, 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 that working conditions in the 70s were 40% worse than they are now? Doing a multiplication problem in the 70s was 40% was more difficult. Well, maybe <laughs> for you. <laughs> uh, we just have a lot more technology that yeah but that's my point with the wages is that wages that, right, media, that, that, that there's, a, there's a skew that. and that it was easier to earn a living wage in 1970 than it is today if you that's were a mechanic yeah if you were a mechanic you were doing exactly the same exactly the same job more or less um, adjusted for inflation or inflation for uh, technology and cars but really yeah 
not much, not much different. All right. So uh, that's that's wages. I think I've made my case there. Is that median wage has gone down forty percent, average wage has gone up five percent. That tells me that income inequality has gotten way worse. But for the average person, and by that, at, median wage is a much better judge of what the average person's life is like. And median wage has gone down forty percent. All right. Mm -hmm. Next category: average. So, so most, so most people are making less. Is is all. Because the average wage is a is a figure that is misleading. Yeah, it's very misleading. I just I think you know, to leave it at that, the average wage may have gone up, but that's misleading because the median wage show demonstrates that more people are making less money. Yeah, and that's why I pulled the two numbers is because I think you you lose half the story if you don't. All right, average home cost. So nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy average home cost. I'm going to take a guess. I are you going to use inflation adjusted, or are you going to use the actual no, value? I'm going to guess actual value, uh, like thirty grand. Thirty grand in nineteen seventies dollars. That's yeah. That's my guess. You're close dollar wise, but percentage wise, you're not. Okay. Well, what's what's the what's the what do you mean dollar wise? Because well, if you're I'm off by. If I looked at a deed in uh, or a sales contract from 1970, what amount would be on it? $17,000. Oh, fuck. So I was way over. Yeah. Okay. That's why I said dollar-wise, you're kind of close, but percentage-wise. Okay. So, so and then, okay. So, so what's that adjusted for inflation? 112. Okay. 112, 113. We'll call so it 113. A, a house that you could buy in 1970, same house, if it was kept up, would be worth 117, whatever it was, 117. No, so the the inflation cost. So if you adjust the seventeen thousand up for inflation, you get to one thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the house wouldn't be worth that, but in today's dollars, yeah. Okay, I got it. Yeah. So and again, these these numbers are a little bit misleading because you can also say that like houses today are built bigger and built better than nineteen seventy, but if you look at the average home cost in the United States, and I couldn't find median on this one, unfortunately, but the average home cost. 1970, 113. 2019, 321. Damn. That's an increase wow. of 185%. And that's inflation adjusted. Yeah, people, people aren't buying three times the size home or three times the quality home. I They're, would agree. So yeah, what I'm I mean, saying is that the costs for entry are higher. That in 1970... If we look at it here, here's 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 an easy here's an easy way to compare it. So if we we take the median wage, and do it and and do housing cost as a multiple of median wage. Mm -hmm. In 1970, the multiplier was a little less than two. Sixty-five thousand of the median wage, hundred and thirteen thousand for the home. So that's like one point eight five or so. Just doing the numbers up off the top of my head. So in 2019. 40,000 to 320 multiplier of eight. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. So it, it, in, in 1970, you would have had to work for a little less than two years to fully pay off your home. Assuming you had no other costs in 2019, you would have to work for eight years to pay off your home. If you didn't have what any other a, expenses. What was a down payment on a home back then? What, what I don't know. I didn't look that up. Um, I would imagine that it was probably about the same in terms of like percentage of home cost or whatever. I think maybe it would have been more. I think probably there were well, interest rates are higher back then, so it might have been. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, my thinking was was just that now 
What do you th- what do you think you need to have uh, down? What's what's five percent of a three hundred thousand dollar house? Fifteen. So now, if you have an iPhone that costs a grand, you have an iPad that costs another grand. You've got you and, and your spouse have two cars. Back then, you probably had one. Um, what's the down payment or your monthly payment on a car? Um, you know, there's, there's, everybody's got a, multiple TVs in their home at five, six hundred dollars on a low end for a TV. So we have a lot more of these, you know, material expensive objects that we will spend. Just you know, I'll, I'll go out tomorrow and buy a fucking new iPad and just put it on a credit card. But if I if I didn't have these items, I would have I could you know I could probably go down a list of shit that I spent eight or nine grand on over the last over the last year, and that would have been half of whatever down payment that I would need, you know, yeah. buying a house. So I mean that's that's kind of my counter argument. But yeah, obviously the barrier of buying a home, the entry barrier of buying a home now is much much higher but we also have all this bullshit working against us yeah but uh, here uh, i mean i don't have to sell this idea to you because you've just lived it is what's the difference between burning money on rent every single month versus being able to start paying down a mortgage and build equity in a property (laughs) look how big of a difference is that i looked at, at my rent bill for the last four years and i could have bought half of this house mm-hmm cash so which is just wild to 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 even think about right and that's money that you're never going to get back and you have nothing to show for it and that doesn't that doesn't even include parking (laughs) yeah i'm talking obviously but (laughs) well i don't pay for parking now so you own the parking lot (laughs) exactly um that's crazy but so yeah barrier to entry is buying a home is one of the most surefire ways to build wealth Mm -hmm. and today it's eight times more expensive. No, I'm sorry. About four times more expensive than it was in 1970. Yeah, which is... When you couple the drop in median wage and the increase in housing price, it's about four times harder today to buy a home. That's just a huge barrier to millennials being able to build wealth. Sure, but what was the population in 1970? Doesn't matter. Well, uh, Alexa. Alexa. I'll just look it up. For what you. was the population of the United States in 1970? Here's what I found on the United States' Wikipedia page. The U.S. Census Bureau officially estimated the country's population to be 328,200,000. No, no, shut her up. I've got this. I'm Stop. faster than her. <laughs> All right, go ahead. 1970 population, 205 million. Okay, and now we have 330-something million. 330 right. to 350, somewhere in that range. Okay, so... Um, all I'm getting at is you now land is much more of a commodity now because you have almost double the not even if you consider a 50% increase in population that doesn't get you to a 400% increase in asset price. Fair enough, but but you see where I'm going with this. Okay, so (laughs) I think I've made my case that it was easier to buy a home in 1970 than it is today, and that's a huge way to be able to build wealth over time. Yeah, I agree. And so, so what else? What else you have? Cost of education. Okay. Yeah. Now. All right. So these are annual numbers. So obviously, if you're going to school for four years, you can multiply these numbers by four. But annual numbers are what I pulled. So 1970. If you wanted to go to a public public university, 
what was your tuition per year in 1970s dollars? I don't have any idea. Uh, Take a guess. You'd be blown away. 150 bucks. No, you're pretty close. I, yeah. I'm, I mean, you said public institution, so. Yeah. $405 is the average. Wow. Adjusted for inflation, about 2700 bucks. Okay. And what's a public school now? In 2019, average cost was about ten two. Ten thousand. So that's so that's forty grand. Uh, forty grand versus for a public school. Public school. So yeah, like a public state university. If four year degree would have cost you a little over ten grand, like ten four for four years, versus about forty thousand eight hundred in twenty nineteen. So that's an increase of two hundred and eighty one percent, and that's adjusted for inflation. Yeah, yeah. Private schools. 1970, you want to go to a private school instead of a public school. How much is your tuition for a year? Uh, for one year, I don't know, $2,600. That's a guess. I don't have any idea by 1970. I'm, no, you're not terribly off. About 1800 bucks. Adjust oh, for in, okay. Adjusted for inflation, it comes to about 11900 Okay. So about eleven nine per year for a private school in 1970. You know how much a private school in 2019 is going to cost you? Beats me. Take a guess. This is fun. <laughs> it's not fun to be pulling shit out of my ass. Uh, I don't know. 40 grand. You're not too far off. 36. Okay. Yeah, not too far off. That's insane. So that's an increase of about 200%. Wow. Wild. And that's to get a lower paying job. That's no, that's a private, that's a private four-year degree. To get to get a lower paying job in 2019. Right. So you're paying two anywhere between two and three hundred percent for a degree that is going to earn you median forty percent less. So I feel like basically we're running the same race as somebody who did it forty years before us. Um, but it's actually a little bit longer of a race and we have a way to invest on it mm -hmm. is, is, is really kind of what it sounds like. Um, and there's maybe like, you know, some uh, pits of fire or some shit. That we <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, oh, here's it. All right. So I also looked up tax rates. So if you start to earn a whole bunch of money, so in 1970, what, just take a guess what the top marginal rate was, the maximum percentage you would have to pay in tax. What was the top marginal rate in 1970? Oh, I don't have that. Actually, hold on. Let's, let's, let's just set. Well, in 2019, what was the top marginal rate? What is it, like 35? You're pretty close, 37. Yeah, okay. Okay, back then, though, I don't have any idea. 25? Go the other direction. Higher? Way higher. Really? Oh, shit. I don't have any idea. 50%. I'm just get pulling numbers out of my ass. 72. Top marginal rate was 72%. How the fuck does that even work? How do you get taxed 72%? Well, you're taxed 72% when you hit the marginal, when you hit the top marginal rate. So you'll have like bracket one, you're taxed at 10%. The next bracket is 25%. The next bracket's 40%. The next bracket's 70% or however it works. Well, so you kind of go up income in steps. And that's bringing people much closer together economically. 
Yeah, because uh, if you're earning a shitload of money, well, you're only earning 28 cents on the dollar after you, let's say it's a million dollars is where you have the 72%. Mm-hmm. So after a million dollars, you're only earning 28 cents on every dollar you're in a, of a bill, of above a million. Now I'm making those numbers up, but that's how yeah. marginal tax rates work. So it means that like it, it, it shrinks inequality because the rich are paying a lot more money back to the government. And ostensibly, the government's using that to provide benefits for everybody. And now our, our top rate is 37%. So it's right. literally almost the, the reverse. About half. Wow. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, it was a lot harder in 1972, in 1970, to get way ahead. But that's going about the whole wealth inequality thing, which we talked about with the median and average wages. So... Um, Let's talk about, so vehicle cost is actually one that I didn't think of immediately. But -hmm. if you think about it, unless you live in like a big city like New York, how essential is having a vehicle to being able to work? Well, look, when I, when I was not when I first moved to New York City, but when I first became a real estate agent and was really struggling, my mom said to me, you know, you know, just you're paying all this money in rent. You should just come live at home rent free. Just, it would be rent-free. And I'm like, sure, but one, I'd be living at home and that would kind of suck. But like, I'd be down for it if there were other upsides. Um, but I'd also have to buy a car first. And um, and cars are not cheap. Even a cheap car is not cheap. Like I don't have $2,500 or $4,000 to buy a piece of crap car. Um, well, and also, how are you going to work if you're living in Middleburg or Albany? How are you going to get to New York City every day? But I wouldn't. I would obviously have to give up the career that I was working on, sure, and then you know find another job. So it was a basically impossible uh, situation, and yeah. I'm glad I didn't. It was a very generous offer, um, but I'm glad I didn't take her up on that offer. But having to buy a car to do a job, I, you know, you have to anywhere outside of a very very dense urban area like Chicago or DC or New York city, you need yeah. to have your own vehicle. Or you're spending an hour and a half or two hours to get to work in a oh. drive that might take 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. On buses or something like that. Right. Which, and I'm all for making public transportation better, but I can understand why people don't want to do it because it's really inefficient. If you're in New York city, it might be faster to take the subway than to drive. Oh, but many, many, many times it is. And I only lived a mile and a half from the office, but like yeah, a mile from the office. So. Right. Um, so I'm going to say that with the exception of big cities like New York and like Chicago and stuff like that, having a vehicle is kind of another one of those barriers to entry. So mm-hmm. let's, let's figure out what was the average cost of a, of a vehicle in 1970. And this is probably new vehicles. I wasn't able to find used data. It's, it's hard, but like it, it still tells us something average price of in, in 1970s dollars new vehicle uh, uh i'm gonna go with 6500 bucks mm, you're pretty far off fuck really if we count if we go by percentage you're off by about a hundred percent it's like 3500 bucks oh i was high yeah <laughs> i was gonna say there's no way any selling a car cost more than no. oh, wow uh, so you adjust it up for inflation you're just shy of 23 grand so a brand new car in 1970 average cost 23 grand Inflation price. Inflation price. Okay. Average cost of the new car now. I can't think of a car that would cost in the 20,000s. Maybe like a small, like one of the small Nissans or 
or a yeah, but remember, we've got to take the average. Yeah, well, okay. We're not talking about your average economy car. We're not going with the cheapest car because that would be hard. Again, hard to measure. Like I, I had to just pull whatever statistics I could find. I, I didn't have a chance to do a deep dive. So I'll take average. And again, nobody's buying a car now in cash. Back then, I feel like a lot more people were buying cars in cash. Well, that's because so. their median wage was higher. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so, what's the average price of a vehicle right now? You haven't guessed yet. This is a guessing game. You're like asking me to guess what your favorite color is. That beats me. Um, or what your brother's favorite color is. I have no idea. Um, what's the average price of a car in 2019? 40000 Pretty close. Really? About thirty-seven. Wow. That still seems higher than I, I would think, but I guess like everybody's driving. I don't know. Yeah. I, but can I ask you a question? Remember when we grew up? I don't remember, or where we grew up, maybe. I don't remember seeing new cars. I, you know, I don't. I, we, well, in the winter, no car looks new. Yeah, but I just don't remember, like, even in school, like, even people's parents, I don't remember seeing a car that was, like, one, maybe two years old, oldest, uh, on a regular basis. And if it was, it was usually a kind of low end car. And maybe yeah. that speaks about like the neighborhoods that we came from. Like, I think, possibly. I think you know it was nice to get like a used car, you know, that was in good shape. But I don't remember a lot of people that had brand new cars. Could, could no, you? not really. Yeah. Now, now, like I look around up and down the block, everybody's got a brand new car or two that's you know maximum five years old, but probably two or three years old in their driveway. And I'm just like, like, how? when did this happen? Everybody's got this brand new car. Yeah, my two cars are six years old and 27 years old. <laughs> well, six years old sounds pretty new to me. Yeah, it, it, but yeah, the point is, so 62% increase in average vehicle cost. Now, I'm sure that if you look at budget cars, that, that might not be quite so bad. I don't know. That data is a lot harder to get. But yeah. the point is, the, the barriers for entry have gone up a lot. The rewards for entry have gone down. Yeah. So the barriers of entry have gone up, and then there's not much payoff for getting involved in the game. Nope. At all. Um, you know, that's a lot of people. That, I don't know if you notice, there's a, there's a big trend of people leasing cars and renting apartments because. There's not a huge upside with the ownership aspect of it. Oh, uh, that's that's just – I can understand, like, rent sometimes. If you want to live in New York City, to be able to buy property in New York City is really, really hard. So a lot of people rent in New York City because there's not really any other choice. But when it comes to leasing cars, that's pretty much always a terrible financial decision. Well, it's, it's just money out the window, yeah. But financing a car is also tough if you buy something relatively new because you take a if you finance a brand new car, you're you're just losing money right off, you know. You throw oh, yeah. a ball up the money and throw it out the window over your first year or just you know in the first week because I've got a friend in Charleston um, that works in real estate actually doing property management and he's got a background in accounting. And every two or three years, so he always buys a brand new car. And every two or three years, he'll trade in that brand new car 
uh, that, that two or three year old car for a brand new car. I said, dude, you've got a background in accounting. You understand depreciation. Why in the world are you constantly cycling a car that has depreciated some for a car that's going to depreciate oh, even right. more? So, but that's the price you're paying to own something brand new, which is why financing brand new and leasing a brand new car really doesn't, it, there's no bigger upside on one or the other. Uh, but that's if you want to buy a new but car. But at least if you're financing the car, like some portion of those payments that you're making are going towards the underlying asset. Uh, Whereas uh, leasing, uh, all uh, you're doing uh, is paying for the depreciation of the car and you're not even getting anything at the end. But it, yeah, but if you're going to buy a new car in two or three years, you're making payments towards the value of the asset, but then you're buying a new asset and dropping the old one at a loss for the old one. Oh, yeah. No, I, I told him it was a stupid idea, and he said he knew. I said, come on, man. You're smarter than this. I know you. But, but I think, you know, it, it's – I mean, it just it, – to me, it kind of goes back to the – you know, when we were kids, if a VCR broke, our parents would take it to a VCR and TV repair shop. No one – I see perfectly good TVs, like, out on the sidewalk on a very regular basis. Well, that's because – Partially, things these days are harder to repair, and they're they're actually it's actually cheaper to replace something than it is to repair it. That that may be that may be true, um, but but still, I think it's it's easier to. There's a lot of durable goods that you know that I don't know. It's 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 just wild that we're spending so much money on on things that used to proportionally cost way 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 less yo let's hit the comments real quick and see what people uh, are saying to this well i also have some other stuff i want to add about some of the different generations just kind of lifestyle stuff but uh, let's hit the comments before we get uh, too much farther away from them like three grand or more as soon as you drive it off the lot uh off yep. probably more than that depending if it's a if it's a forty thousand dollars what was the average price 2019 37 okay so it's 37 thousand dollar car Probably looking at like seven grand right off the lot. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, it depends. It also depends on how you're reselling it. Uh, but my first brand new car two years ago, good for you. New cars were luxuries. And they, I think new cars are much more common now. Back then, they used to be literally luxuries. Agree. Um, let's see. Uh, more millions today is not about your education. It's about who you know. I think it's always been about who you know. Uh, it's hard to say whether that was more prevalent in the 70s or not. I don't know. That's that's an impossible question for me to answer right now. Yeah. Valerius says, I'm Generation X. Um, and some other stuff not quite relevant. And then we got over here on TikTok. Let's see what else we got here. Um, could you speak more slowly? A lot of people on TikTok watches aren't from the U.S. A lot of Spanish speakers. So um, it's my bad. Sorry, guys. I think Rosh is watching on Facebook, so I'm going to catch the Facebook comments in the in a minute. Uh, where's the argument here? The argument has been laid out in that <laughs> wages are lower now comparatively. Costs for entry into the wage into higher earning markets are much higher than they were, and the two primary ways that you build wealth, be it through purchasing a home or buying a vehicle so that you can drive to work more efficiently have also gone up. So it costs more to get into the game. It costs more to stay in the game. It costs more to build wealth and you're earning less. 
Okay, so so my the way that I would do this, and this is a generational gap issue, uh, and you'll see where I'm going in a second, is what I would say is, all right, so that's the playing field. What are you going to do about it? Whereas a lot of people are just going to say, well, I'm fucked, so I'm just, not, you know, I'm going to take it. And this is, you know, the hand that I've been dealt. Uh, so My argument isn't to say that we should engage in defeatism as millennials. I think uh, what I'm trying to do is make the case that the criticism that's lobbed at millennials is unfair. F fair enough. But a lot of millennials are just playing that victim card. And saying I still I still want my fifth place trophy. You have to give me something. It's I'm not, not endorsing that. Okay, fair enough. Let me hit the. Let me just get because we got a couple uh, on um, Facebook. Uh, we got Rosh says I think we're beginning a new baby boom. People are staying home, doing drugs, and making babies. We might see a funky generation in twenty years. Uh, That's an know, interesting idea. Barry, uh, who interned for us for a while, he said, "How about?" Elementation? I don't know what that word means. Elementation? Um, spell it. Uh, A-L-I-M-E-N-T-A-T-I-O-N. It's a Spanish word. No, I don't think he's Spanish. Uh, Rosh also said, education is slipping. You go to school, get a diploma, you need to get a job, but no one explains the criteria for perfect job. How to manage your earnings. Schools need to teach financial literacy. Um, a couple things, because I, I took some notes about some generations. I'll share some information with you. But what I found was uh, that Generation X, which was right before us, basically, was the first generation where there was a really big slide in um, uh, people reproducing. Like, people basically weren't having as many babies. And then with our generation in most developed nations, uh, population increases have, have pretty much slowed. Um, and let's see, Generation X. Uh, also, when it comes to divorce rates, uh, Generation X had much higher divorce rates than baby boomers. And then actually our generation, it looks like has had less divorces than our parents. So the, the divorce rate's uh, slowing down a little bit. Probably because uh, the marriage rate's also gone down. The marriage rates have gone down, too. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what population they're sampling from the, the full population, I assume. So you, you have a good point there. Um, and then, let's see, millennials have less sex than previous generations, which, again, we're talking about developed nations. Um, and that's probably true which is really lousy. Um, so uh, millennials, Generation X and or Generation Y, basically, um, characterized by entitlement and a dependence on technology. Uh, they're also less religious. So, but I believe that that comes along with information and, you know. Yeah, the technology and the religion, you have to think that there's a connection. Well, yeah, exactly. I think back back in the day, you would say, well, we don't know what causes that. It must be God. We don't know where that comes from. It must be God. And you, you don't quite have that when you have answers to questions. And we have a lot more answers to questions than it is what it is because that's how God wants it to be. Yeah. Uh, and then what else do I have? Uh, 
the most the most recent generation, Generation Z. Um, is that what I what I called it before? I feel like. Yeah, because then there's Generation Alpha, but they're still like kids yeah, in okay, elementary so school, so they don't count. Z, which would be like teenagers, maybe early twenties, right now. Um, they uh, are risk averse, which does not surprise me. No. Um, and they and so Generation Z really didn't exist before the internet. So it's like late nineties. I, I kind of look at them as like the Facebook generation. Sure. Yeah, but Facebook wasn't there. 2004, if you were born in 1996 or 1997, Facebook came out right as you were starting to get comfortable reading and writing and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. But, I mean, it's it's just wild. To, like, we know all this stuff prior to this huge uh, technology boom. Um like we had rotary phones and we had record players and we had, we barely had record. They were still around, but it was not a, it was a technology that was kind of still going out, but we didn't have, there was nothing digital. Was there anything digital other than calculators when we were, when we were kids? Well, I mean, besides the computers that we were using, but televisions were analog. Yeah. Cell phones didn't really exist. No, yeah. So, so we can barely remember it, but imagine just not having any. Like you have so much at your fingertips now uh, that you didn't before, and also Generation Z, the newest generation, who's not infants, uh, declining cognitive abilities. Hmm. Yeah, how about that? Um, also, uh, freedom of speech isn't as important to them. Uh, if it's offensive, uh, if somebody says something offensive, they, they shouldn't be allowed to say that. Whereas our generation or any other generation, freedom of speech should just be like your right to bear arms. Like you should be able to have an Uzi and a fucking rocket launcher. Uh, and say fuck you while you fired both of them off. Yeah. But now if you, if you say something, uh, you know, that's, that's racist or, or offensive, that the government should be able to to shut you up, and that's that's yeah. definitely a tricky discussion. But, uh, I think we need to. Yeah, that's that's one that I'd like to dive into more. But like, that's going to take some time to to kind of tease out why that is. Well, so but the thing is, I, I, it's it's crazy that like Facebook or Twitter would have to pull the plug on some people's accounts. But that's like saying you have a public park and the public park is policed by the police and you could pretty much do and say whatever you want in that park. But now you have certain people gathering with like firearms in the public park uh, or they're planning, uh, they're planning to blow up buildings. At a certain point, the public park police are going to have to say, sorry, you can't be here. Yeah. Right. And, and that, and that, because they're the only people responsible for that park. So uh, that's kind of what's happening with like Facebook and Twitter. Somebody's got to be responsible for that territory, given it's not physical space, but it is that you can open up your physical device and it's physically displayed in front of you via pixels. So that's as physical as it gets. But um, it's a really tricky territory when it comes to freedom of speech. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's a private platform. 
right? Like right. It's not the government regulating it. And ultimately, if a private company decides to regulate speech one way or the other, an economist would argue that the free market's going to basically decide whether or not the company made the right decision, because if they're too restrictive, then people won't use it. And if they're too permissive, people might not use it. So well, the companies are going to strike the right balance based on economics. But if somebody comes to my house and says something racist uh, or they want to incite a riot or they want to fight one of my other friends and I ask them to leave, right, and then they don't want to leave, I'm like, all right, well, then I'm calling the police and you, you're being a square out of here. That's my right because this is my platform. Um, if I had, you know, if I, if, and therefore, I would think if you were running an app like Twitter or Facebook, and somebody who's using your app, who's a guest effectively to your app, says something that you don't like, you technically have the right to take them off there. Does that politicize you? Hell yeah. You can't argue that it doesn't because you're taking a stance against something, which is politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, just like you said, free market, you know, the, 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 the market's going to, you know, have an effect on you. If that's if you shut up the lead Republican and every Republican person wants to not use your app anymore, that's fine. And yeah, everything's run by somebody. So Amazon running the servers for the parlor app and shutting it down, like you guys need an Amazon. So if you want to build your own thing, I guess that's what you got to do. But you yeah, the internet's going to stop, not going to stop you, but like you don't get to like, Instead of renting server space from Amazon, now you might have to find the money to build your own servers. And if you can do it, then go ahead. But you're within your legal right, and it's not going to be on Amazon. It won't be on Twitter. It'll be on the U.S. government. And the U.S. government really won't do anything unless they can find like actual crimes being advocated. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know it's. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll go there. I definitely think there's enough money to make that happen. So yeah, um, I looked up some statistics real quick about birth rate. Okay. So these are births per one thousand people, and I'm just going to select a couple years because it's on like a slider. Okay. So like 1950, from like 1950 until 1960, it was like 24 to t- 23 to 25 per one thousand. It started to drop really hard in 1960, went from 23 all the way down to 15 in 1978. So by like 1980, it was about 15 on the dot. And then it kind of rose a little bit. Is this this a global? U.S. It's just the U.S. That's what I thought. Yeah. So in 1980, it was 15 per 1,000 people. And in 2020, it was 12. Wow. Wow. Uh, and then what's that? Can you pull? Can you pull global data? Yeah, I should be able to. Because I'll bet you the global data hasn't changed as drastically. And basically, saying that developing nations like India and I guess you could probably lump China in there, and probably not Russia because it's cold and people probably don't have much sex. Yeah. Uh, but developing nations typically people have more sex and my guess is probably unprotected and at a younger age and uh having more babies yeah this is gonna be harder to find global i can find like every country i can find the highest and the lowest but so what country has the biggest population china or india i think it's india. china has the high- highest population but if we're talking about birth rate versus are we talking about birth rate or are we talking about population <clears throat> We're, well, right now we're talking about both, but let's go with birth rate. 
Uh, Birth rate, mostly countries in Africa. Niger, Chad, Somalia, Mali, um, Congo, Angola, Burundi, Gambia, Uganda, Burkina Faso, Nigeria. Like every highest birth rate. All all the top countries are in Africa. Like the first 20 are all Africa. So, but but what do you think? What do you think is going to happen with this new generation, the alpha generation? And where, where do you think Generation Z is going to be in a decade? Or you know, if you want to adjust for Generation Alpha and, and give them the same benefit of the doubt in two decades. What do you, th- what do you think? Is, are these going to be more successful? Are they going to have higher birth rates, higher divorce rates? What do you think? I have no idea. <laughs> I, 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 I just have no clue. I haven't thought about it, and I, I just don't know. Um, I, I think that things are too much in flux right now to be able to really be able to make solid predictions because there's so much that's changing right now. I think technology has the is going to have the biggest effect, but I also feel like if you were to ask if you were to ask in 1970 what's the next generation or two going to look like, and that person would say. Those lucky motherfuckers, everything's going to be given to them. All this work that we're putting in, they're going to have it so easy. Um, you know, right now we have telephones and TVs and radio, and, and, and they're getting all that. And when we were growing up, we didn't have any of this. We couldn't talk to somebody on the other side of the country. You know what's funny? So when you're talking about that, when I think about, like, I, I actually look at it as, I'm really glad that I grew up at the time that I did because I look at the kids today with the interconnectedness and the social media and everything else, and I say, I'm lucky to have not grown up with that. Yeah, but you and I at a pretty early age were on desktop computers a lot of time. True. Uh, but we also existed before that. So, you know, it's – it's uh, it's – it's technology is going to be part of life, almost like cybernetics. You know, I think, think about it like this. When you got, when you got your driver's license, how many years did you drive and go, went to places for the first time, a place that you'd never been before? How many times, how many years did you drive without GPS? Oh yeah. I, I, like, I, like, Think about being able to just go to a place and be like, I, I'm just going to get there somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. Where, where were you going somewhere with that? Just in terms of how we had to figure it out. Yeah. Well, you know, but listen to this being lost is pretty much going to be a non thing. No one's going to, it, pretty soon, no one is never. Is, is, that already doesn't exist. If you it's have a GPS phone, you're never lost. You, you cannot get lost today. You have I, to actively try to get lost. I went and bought a grill and threw it in the back of the truck. And on my way back, the, my phone died. And I didn't know where I was coming from. Both phones died, actually. And I don't have a charger. <laughs> Good planning. Yeah, right? Um, so uh, – <laughs> I've managed to figure out basically just using kind of reasoning and you know knowing which way I was going and relatively where I was that if I went enough in one direction I'd run into a road that I knew and I could follow that road in the right direction and it would bring me to a road that I knew and then I'd just be able to figure it out. 
Um, yeah, that's how navigation works. Yeah, but some people, I feel like... Although they don't have that skill. It would not, it just, they never would have got home. Uh, They'd still so. be driving. But that was a, it was a very weird feeling for me of, of being lost. And it had been so long since I had truly had no idea where I was and no solution to get where I wanted to be. So that was... Uh, that was that was kind of weird. It was kind of cool, but but it was kind of weird. Uh, what what else do you want to add about um, uh, that generational stuff? I feel like I've made my case. Yeah, um, I I don't think it looks good. I I don't think it looks good for the next few generations. I think there's going to be, especially if there's like some. Uh, what's the thing in the Terminator where where all the electronics basically merge what is that called singularity singularity you know if if there is ever like ai and there's technology issues and stuff i feel like there's gonna be a whole generation of people that are, are just if you know if this technology thing that we're working on right now blows up in our face um there's gonna be a lot of people who can't do things in an analog world one of my best friends in Charleston, whom you haven't met, his single biggest fear is like the robot uprising. Well, I, I you know, I was, I've been painting here and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I was listening to a lot of technology stuff, physics, uh, physics stuff. Um, and a lot of Elon Musk was just kind of like, you know, when you, you know, when you're watching YouTube and you don't choose the next video and something pops on, oftentimes it's Elon Musk talking about AI and things like that and how unregulated it is and how it can be weaponized and, sure. and how we're not that far off. Uh, you know, just think right now, somebody can hack your phone and, and, and you're fucked. If, if somebody really hacks your phone, they have all your financial data. You, you, like, I couldn't, if somebody hacked my phone and I hadn't bought a train ticket on my way home, I wouldn't be able to get home. If I didn't have cash on me, like I'd be done. And if they hacked on my bank accounts and the banks shut me down, uh, locked me out, I'd be fucked. And that 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 could be done in minutes, you know. And it can really fuck with me. So I th- what I'm saying is, I think a lot of people aren't. We have a generation of people who just don't know how to do shit. Like I, you know, the cool thing about being in this house in the in the suburbs is I like doing stuff with my bare hands. And I'm always, like, I grew up changing my own oil, changing my own brakes, changing my own brake lines. You yeah, know? I remember that day. Like, but the thing is, like, a lot of this shit I didn't know how to do. I just kind of figured it out. And I would call a lot of it Dunning-Kruger. Like, you know what Dunning-Kruger is? Yep. The more, the less you know, the more confident you are in your abilities. Exactly. So I get, I get you know, kind of uh, ass over whatever the phrase is. Uh, but I get into something and realize I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. And the only way to, to deal with it is to just like take it step by step, work your way through it, go to go get a book, something like that. Go get uh, the workshop manual for whatever car and you just break it down into smaller parts. All I'm getting at, though, is, is I feel like a lot of people, one, wouldn't try that. I feel like Dunning-Kruger is, is in effect way more than ever, but still people don't take action. So... I mean, I see it all the time when when people ask me for help. I'm just like, you can do this because what I'm going to do doesn't require any special skills. I just have the confidence to do it. Or like one of my friends asked me to like take apart his laptop and figure out why something was making a noise. And 
I was you, like, un- you unscrew the screws. You unscrew the screws. The toughest part is screwing them back in. Yeah. You know, the, the hardest part of the task was getting the right spec screws. I I get really upset in the office when something happens with the printer, um, and I, and I, and I, I you know I, I can be a dick sometimes. I'm like, look, I've never I've never seen this problem before. I've never faced this problem before. If I can fix this, this just means that you were dumber than me. Do you want to give it a shot before I do it? Uh, and a lot of people will be like, oh, let me, I'll, I'll try it for you. Give me a, you know, like, well, you just look at the error. And if, it, and if it doesn't say out of paper and you replace the paper, if it says something else, you don't know, there's a code, Google it. You know, it could be whatever. Maybe you just turn it off and turn it back on and it works. But a lot of people, so I use Dunning-Kruger at, as an advantage to me. Like I do a lot of shit. And I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. Like, it seems easy and I'm going to do it. And then I'm like, fuck, this is way tougher than I thought. But I still figured out from there. A lot of people have dunning Kruger. You know, they have that effect where they think something simple. But a lot of people just don't take action these days. Yeah. And- Although on the topic of dunning Kruger, I'm reminded of a time that we, we as a family took you out to Massachusetts and we played candle pin bowling. <laughs> okay. With like hey, the smaller bowling balls and the I, narrow I, sticks. I yeah, I mean, I must. We must have been what, like thirteen or fourteen years old, somewhere in that range. I but I remember, I like, candle pin bowling's really hard because the ball's small and hard to control, and the pins are smaller. And I remember, like, like you were strong, and like the ball was small, so you could really throw it hard. And so, like, you threw a gutter ball, and then your response was just to throw it harder, <laughs> which just meant that you threw a faster gutter ball. <laughs> is this Dunning Kruger or yeah because uh, like you got the confidence of like all right I can really whip this thing here we go and you uh, would just make a bigger dent in like the back catch area without <laughs> touching it like in like a slightly stronger breeze as it whizzed by the pins without touching them <laughs> but that's to me that's Dunning Kruger effect is like I'm just gonna try harder and I'm like look how fast I can throw this but the results aren't getting any better uh, I, I, I'm going to look at the actual definition of Dunning-Kruger. Um, Dunning-Kruger is a type of cognitive bias in which people believe that they're smarter and more capable than they really are. Essentially, low-ability people do not possess the skills needed to recognize their own incompetence. Yep. Uh, yeah. Which is pretty much what I said. Is like the less ability you have, the more confidence you have in your own abilities. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Which is you can have been bowling. But what I'm what I'm getting at is I've used it to my advantage to just figure shit out. In that case, I didn't uh, I really didn't. Yeah, and that's what I tell people all the time. I was like, when I have something that's broken, I'm going to try my best to fix it. And one of two things is gonna happen. I'm either going to fix it and I've learned how to fix it, or it's going to get even more broken. And which and like I'll reach a certain point, I'm like, all right, I've screwed this up bad enough. I actually do need to bring it to somebody who knows what they're doing. But then yeah, I'll learn well, that way too. But I will, I will run as hard as I can until I hit a wall that I can't bust through. Yeah. Um, that's a good quality to have. On that note, um, I think we sign off. And yeah. uh, this, is, this concludes episode 71 of SIP Talk. Uh, I don't know how we're going to title this, but, but at this point, if you're listening to this, you are the weakest generation. Generational warfare. Yeah, it is. Uh, all right, James, I will catch you later. Later. And yeah, that wraps us up. If you have not already, please subscribe. That helps us out big time. And uh, 
always comment and let me know what you think of the episode. See you guys soon. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.